Everybody knows it. Venezuela is a beep hole <laughs> right now. So yeah, I don't know how podcast rules work. So no, I, I'm great. adding You've, the beep so you don't have to do it right later. Now. This is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's yeah. great. You haven't had self bleeping before. That is, yeah. that's a first time. You welcome, Jason. Uh, <laughs> Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Kara's podcast, The Human Element, where we take a look at injecting humanity into modern marketing. We are super excited to have two more of our own here today. I'm going to have them uh, introduce themselves right now. Diego Saldeño, I work at Gravity. I do a lot of the multicultural media and lead Hispanic strategy. This is Rob Douglas, the EVP of Gravity. I oversee from insights, new business, media, everything, most, many of our clients, and help leadership run that business. And my favorite part of the pod... <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> Hi, everyone. This is Chelsea. So first thing that jumps to mind, tell us, what do you guys do at Gravity? What is Gravity? Gravity is a multicultural, a full-service multicultural agency within the Dense Regis Network, organized under CARA specifically. Um, so our area of expertise is not only just from a media perspective, but also from creative strategy insights, even on the back-end on production side. Uh, our core expertise focuses not only on audiences based on country of origin, uh, as we find more and more clients are, with especially more smaller size clients, maybe under a $30 million spend level, who is going after a specific audience segment that's a niche audience. Uh, we have zeroed in on adding that to our repertoire of client and audience segment to, uh, segments themselves. Yeah, and it goes a little bit also, uh, it starts shifting in terms of what Rob was mentioning from the country origin to that uh, behavioral as the new generations are becoming more and more acculturated. So initially, we start working with clients like this network that not only when, when they needed to sell the South Asian package, it wasn't just selling South Asian package to Indias or Pakistani, it was going into language, behavioral. Within India, you have Punjabi, Telugu, Tamil, so on and so forth. So for every specific category, you have to have a different approach. So it wasn't that much about what is the color of your skin, it's about what is the culture behind. What is kind of the state of multicultural marketing, right? So for a really long time, your big client, you know, you're going to go to your Kang and Lee, you're going to go to your Bravo, whatever, and you're going to sort of have your separate, totally removed plan to those various target audiences and, and, and execute against it. That's not the way things work now. How, how, how has it changed and kind of what's the state of play for clients that are engaged in these markets? The way it's shifted now is about being more included. So in the case of a, a client business that we work, work on with here, we'll f identify a common overarching strategy. And what is that? how does that strategy translate for a Hispanic population or an Asian, one of the Asian sub-segments, whether it's Asian Indian or Filipino or Chinese, we'll be able to then trans-adapt that strategy to fit that audience. Back in the 1990s, 2000s, you saw a campaign for a Chinese population was completely, totally different than what the general market saw and the same thing for African-American and yep. so on. Today, it should be the best practices is that it's all together. But you need cultural experts to be able to siphon that out and collaborate and really be at the beginning of the process just as much as at the back end. And also, I think one of the things that has shifted was the precision of it. There are more and more tools that... Uh, you're able to cater to that specific demographic, not only uh, where they're coming from, but also that behavior of it. 
for example, right now we're working with M1 data, uh, include that multicultural behavior. So it's not that unrepresented the way uh, some of the tools are, like CCS or so on and so forth. Yeah, just to build on that M1 piece. So they're good at being able to identify audience segments based on some cultural background, but it's not precise. Somebody behaves a certain way, but that certainly doesn't make them that audience. So if I'm if I have a client that specifically wants to get African American men, well, how are you going to really know an African American male male online? Because quite frankly, probably two or three guys in our office who are definitely not African American who are listening to hip hop music, shopping for sneakers during their break, of course, <laughs> uh, and to a programmatic advertiser. Uh, data provider, they're an African-American audience, but they are completely the opposite. So when you're doing culturally relevant media or culturally relevant messaging, that message doesn't even resonate with him. Would you say that's the biggest challenge for marketers right now? Or is that, you know, our biggest challenge right now? Yeah, data, and it really just, you got to follow the money chain until a client is willing to spend money and has been persuaded or convinced by either A, the creative agency, or B, the media agency, that our data isn't as perfect as it should be. So we're just going to go with this because it's okay, and the client will accept that as okay as a proxy. Proxies are just as good as precision, and that's where it falls apart. So if you have certain clients, not every client is like this, granted, but when you find those clients that have a very, they want to be very precise or their brand or their message is relevant more to a Mexican population than it is a Caribbean Latino population, nobody, nobody can segment out Mexicans versus Caribbean Latinos at all. So then you end up wasting a whole lot of impressions. The data is getting a little bit better. We at Gravity actually built a whole tool platform called AudienceM that enables us to be able to more precisely uh, target those audiences. So we had a deep conversation with Google because we wanted to run an ad test. We want to understand, here's, two, here's the same ad, one's in language, one's in English. We want to run it against Hispanic population online. Which one performs better? Simple test, right? They would say, yes, we'll be able to run it, but we're going to run it against people who we believe are Hispanic. Mm. That doesn't mean that they're Hispanic. Mm-hmm. I listen to more reggaeton than he does. But I, when I'm starting to get ad serve radio, radio spots on Spotify in Spanish, there's an error there. One of the, the biggest challenges there is is the, the lack of education, even from the client side and also from some other agency size. So... I think this is something that is changing. Uh, in the past couple of years, I've seen more and more clients asking to get that educational piece uh, when it comes to multicultural. I've seen uh, clients like Diageo wondering how can we actually pinpoint Dominicans versus Puerto Rican and Mexicans when we're uh, coming out with this holiday cocktail. That, that movement is changing, and uh, a big portion of it is just how, how diverse we are today and how the new generations are becoming more and more and more diverse. So it's pushing into that mentality of, okay, we need to really understand who is our multicultural core consumer because not only they're the present, they're definitely our future. You know, one of the things we see in the majority market is that the expectations of leveraging data to drive deeper personalization, deeper understanding, uh, better experience is significant, right? Particularly among younger, you know, sub-40 populations. Is that expectation growing in multicultural communities as well? Is there an expectation that, hey, you should know enough about me to really get to a greater level of depth of understanding about my cultural origin, uh, affiliation, engagement, uh, such that there is risk for marketers that are penetrating maybe at kind of the, I'm just speaking to Spanish speakers versus I got to speak to Hondurans versus Mexicans versus whomever else. 
it, is that emerging as a real risk for clients? It, it always has been. Yeah. It always has been the risk. Uh, it has been a risk because they can immediately identify the brand that just showed up yeah. and is sticking their toe in the water and really not making a commitment to those brands that, like uh, like a Toyota who's been there for a gazillion, well, gazillion years in the Asian and the Hispanic audience segments. Taking your question and flipping it around the other way, where we have taken culturally relevant advertising creative, that's in language, um, yep. sorry, that's in, um, that's in English, that's specific to the Filipino audience or the African audience, whatever, and run it against a white population, it's completely alienating. Mm-hmm. White people do not like it. They do not relate to it. Also, you're getting a political flare-up a little bit in there, too. So then question that might pop up in your head is, well, then why would you do that if it's alienating to another audience? Well, I don't know how many Caucasians or African-Americans are watching ZTV, a popular South Asian Indian network, but that's where we're running the spot. So the risk of people outside of that audience segment seeing that spot is pretty much zero. Right. So there are, you know, as there always have been, there are discrete channels where the risk is much lower, but there are, especially in digital, I would think places where risk is greater. Yeah, but as long as we're able to, uh, A, on the programmatic side, we've solved that side. When it comes to even online advertising, we are doing, uh, say, uh, more direct site buys, Uh, or private networks there. Again, the risk of overlapping with an audience that doesn't get the message is really, really, really low. Right. So one piece is what you mentioned in terms of the channel itself. The other piece is the content. Yeah. You can see it from a mile away. (laughs) When I'm consuming Hispanic language television and I see an advertiser, they're trying to do Spanglish or they're trying to bring some cultural reference, but they're they're completely off. It, you can see it from a mile away. They're completely forcing it through it. The message and the content itself is not there yet. So the, the reflection I have for the brand is, this is a brand that does not understand us. Do you have a favorite example of that? Bud Light, where they have this content in English. The Dilly Dilly campaign. Mm. And they're trying to replicate the Dilly Dilly campaign that is... It was a great success for general market into Spanish. And they're trying to do it with the biggest Hispanic moment of the year, the World Cup. <laughs> and then you see how you're trying to force your message and your agenda into this moment that is for Hispanics. A lot of the other brands, what they do is the other way around. is let's adapt the moment. Let's make sure we're talking about this is the moment. And yeah, our brand is there. Hello. But no, this was like the other way around. They're trying to push our, this is our dilly dilly agenda. What is it called? I forgot the, the no, Bud that Light was pretty Night. Well put. Yeah, the dilly the dilly, dilly, dilly agenda, agenda works. Yeah. <laughs> That's a sentence we haven't had on the pod yet, so we'll take it. But um, six months ago, five months ago, we were having significant, at least PR assertions by major corporations around support for Dreamers and DACA through a variety of things, i.e. we have, you know, 87 major stories break every day and, you know, it washes over us and we lose kind of track of where we are. We haven't heard anywhere near as much of that, particularly through the last midterm cycle. Yet it's still out there. Have you had any clients sort of come to you about that particular population as a way to be supportive that is important to them or not really? No, I will say unfortunate not. I think it's a good opportunity, especially for some of the clients that we have that champion these immigrants to take a step and and put a stick on the ground is that this is this is what we believe and this is what we support. Unfortunately, we haven't found that. 
To build on that, I, th- I would say that the vast majority of clients are, I'll call, I think the right term is apolitical, meaning they're not going to take a side publicly, left or right, because just as much as they may win over consumers on this side, they're going to alienate the others. So if you go back, oh, going back on Nike, everybody was all like, there's a brand that was like, all right, we're going to go mm-hmm. headfirst into this topic of should we stand or kneel? And Nike doesn't do anything for, for making an audience feel good. They're out there to make money. They're out there to sell more shoes, more gear, whoever that might be. So while everybody wanted to believe that it was all for the love and the affection of an audience segment, I went into our data tools and, and did um, tracking for the past two and a half years of trending of their consumer base. So I did Adidas, the proper pronunciation. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Adidas, Nike, uh, uh, Reebok, every, you know, all the brands, yep. all the sneaker brands. And what I was tracking was what we ended up walking away from is that A, the only audience that was growing on Nike were uh, white people of all ages. And Adidas was growing exponentially. They grew 20% in the past two and a half years among young, non-white audiences. Nike had that data in a different form because they knew that they were losing market share from the opinion leaders and the trendsetters who were predominantly Hispanic, African-American, whatever, and they needed to recapture and regain that audience because Nike, basically Adidas was covertly stealing their lunch. Even though Nike has a giant share of the marketplace compared to Adidas, Adidas was nipping at them and just stealing it left and right for whatever that means. But even if they have the data, what bothers is more about what bothers me is when the brands they don't they just don't want to take a stand. They don't want to say a thing because they don't want to get somebody upset. So even if the reasons might not be the right reasons for Nike. I applaud that they just like, this is our opinion on the matter. A question for you, though. Nike back in the day, probably in the early 2000s, they spent an awful lot of time and money restructuring, rebuilding playgrounds and basketball courts and things like that in all these major metropolitan areas where the cities and governments had to just basically let them go and they became places for gangs to hang out and drugs to be dealt and stuff like that. They went back in and redid. If you go down to Chinatown right now, they did that. They redid the, the basketball court, but it hasn't been touched in over like, probably 10 years now, and now it's falling on hard times. So my frustration with Nike is like, if you're going to be all about inner city, non-white audiences, you're going to have a position, don't just come out with an ad campaign, bring it to the street. Now, they may be doing stuff that we don't see off, that's off the radar screen, it's not being publicized and stuff like that, but there, there's a legacy that Nike had established in major markets where youth was a priority and giving kids a chance and opportunity to, to succeed and learn self-discipline, learning uh, sportsmanship, and blah, 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 blah. All that stuff seems to have gone away. I'd love to see brands doing more than just say that what they're, what they're going to stand for. Yeah. Well, so hold that thought before Rob goes into the lightning round. What is one piece of advice that you would give to CMOs today as they start or begin planning their multicultural programs? Truly understand your audience segment and who's really driving your business. Tied to that is your return on advertising investment. Get away from the one homogenous group of people and really try to segment your audiences further to really understand that. And for CMOs, never to accept proxies, never to accept data difficulties in being able to get to certain audience segments who might, in fact, be driving your business. Make the time for it. As I was mentioned before in the past couple of years, I see a lot more people and CMOs being more interested about that uh, multicultural audience, uh, where is the potential, how are we doing things differently. However, I also see that 
after they have those initial meetings, there's other problems that they need to solve. There's other things. And at the end of the day, there is not like a deep understanding of the different cultural audiences and the insights. And and, and we know sometimes we, we get into one of these meetings and two weeks later, you kind of like forgot just based on how important it is and it's going to be, you need to make the time for it to be properly educated. Mm-hmm. So that's two spend the time arguments. Yeah, yeah. and, and a, a fact point too is right now, if anybody that's even thinking, sniffing, poking around Gen Z, anybody that's under, say, 12 years old yeah. or in that zone, 50% of that audience is not white. Yep, fundamentally different. So uh, we've gotten to the lightning round. Are you ready for this? Short answers to... No. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, that was the lightning round. Diego won. Um, all right, Diego, we're going to start with you. Uh, favorite app? Favorite app? The movie app was my favorite like until like three months ago. Now it's no longer working. I'm sorry, movie pass. Movie, movie pass. pass. Okay. okay, got it, got it. It was great when it was working. Now it's not. There's favorite, no movies. My favorite app, hands down, Netflix. They went bankrupt. Huh? Netflix. Netflix. Yeah. Favorite piece of content you have consumed recently could be an article, could be a podcast, could be a movie, could be a documentary, could be anything. Walking on the subway right now, uh, something that we, we really appreciate was uh, the new campaign for Narcos. The new season of Narcos is focused on Mexico. And... The entire creative is about Loteria cards. And Loteria cards is kind of like that uh, Mexican bingo. And it's a very iconic Mexican game that a lot of people don't understand unless you're Mexico. And this is actually a campaign we did a year and a half ago for Wells Fargo and for MLS. So we did a, we did kind of like a Loteria ad campaign. And actually, we're seeing how some of the other Brands are replicating it, so that was cool. Something I thought was very eye-opening was uh, this series called Fauda, written by a guy who was in the Special Forces Israeli, Israeli Army and stuff like that. But it showed the balanced side of the struggle between the Palestinian and Israelis uh, and showed really the both sides of that emotional connection. So I, I interpreted it as part documentary, part educational, part drama, part all that. So it was sort of a little bit of a, think of it as like, uh, law and order mm. placed in the Middle East, so you felt like there was a ton of realism and crunched into a dramatic series or whatever. But favorite piece of advice, you uh, career advice you've either gotten or given. I think my favorite is uh, our CEO always tell us to be entrepreneur. He's he says like our, our entire philosophy is to build entrepreneurs, and that does not necessarily just mean about start your own thing, start your own business. It's actually a state of mind and how you're thinking. Uh, it's more about being proactive that and then rather than responsive. One that just jumps out at me, I think, is uh, being your client's most valued business partner. That sounds like such a high-level, convoluted something that a CEO at some major ad firm might give you. But skin that onion back and really try to get to the heart of that and think about each word there. Uh, it becomes a crit- the critical differentiator between a business mindset that you attack your client business every day as a business partner uh, versus being a vendor. And I think we're just constantly being hammered and being drilled as vendors and suppliers. And I, I feel like we've really even lost this this connection with clients being a business partner. Yeah, I mean, it sounds cliche, and yet I agree with you completely. I mean, fundamentally, this business is about 
most valued partners. And at any level, that's got to be the kind of relationship that gets built. I think you're exactly right. Um, so Chelsea's going to take us out because it's her favorite part of the entire experience. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you both for joining us. This has been an awesome podcast. And uh, thank you for listening in. You can hear us anywhere you can find a podcast. My favorite line. All right. We'll see you next Friday. Oh,